Good morning. Praise the Lord, everyone. It is such a privilege to see all your shiny, happy faces this morning. You might not feel like you have a shiny, happy face, but let me just tell you, these teeth are gleaming. It is good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. It's great to have my wonderful wife, Sister Mac, with us. Our daughters are back at our home church, and uh, they're busy there, and our oldest is helping to host some guests that we've been working with, so please keep those guests uh, in your prayers. How many know that there are people that are not just hungry for God? There are people that are starving for God. And so Sonia thought she might need to stay there and help do that hosting, but she said, no, I I love the readings too much. You're not going there unsupervised. So here we are, and I don't intend to keep you very long um, this morning, but I will say that that your pastor, as you know, and family, Sister Reading, and and the boys, and and the whole church, just wonderful people of God, And, and you might know this, you might not, but, but Pastor Reading is, is uh, leaned on very heavily by many, many ministers in the District of Indiana and also across uh, the movement. We have, a, we have one text thread um, that I know of that we're on, and, and a lot of times, you know, I'll be the silly one on the text thread, and several other pastors and preachers, and uh, Brother Reading is the one that always provides the wisdom. And, and he provides the spiritual leadership. And so he's very humble. He would never say that. But I just wanted you to know that your pastor is a leader of leaders. And many, many, many ministers look to him for leadership. Why don't we give him a hand? Let's see if we can make his face turn red this morning. That would be awesome. He's red. The red-o-meter is high. He's just about a crimson. Uh, I think he likes the snow. I'm not a huge fan of the snow. I, I know that uh, the Lord said that though your sins be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. But I just want to say, don't forget about that thing where he said he was going to make his sheep lie down in green pastures. So there's nothing wrong with a little palm tree every once in a while either. I'd like to minister something to you just for a little while this morning. I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag and give you my message title. The message title is The Missing Parts of the Ark. The Missing Parts of the Ark. I'm not sure what your custom is. If it's your custom to stand for the reading of the word, you're welcome to stand. If it's not, that's fine too. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 7, it's a fairly lengthy passage. We'll read to verse 22 and then also a passage from from the New Testament. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 7 says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. This, of course, is the story of Noah's ark. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Sounds a little bit like 2024. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence, Through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And now we get into the meatier part of our topic this morning. He says in verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. 
Notice these details, gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without. It needs to be waterproof. This is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. And you can do the math in your head. A cubit is about 18 inches, so about 450 feet long, and about uh, 75-ish feet wide, and about 45-ish feet high. In verse 16, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shall be set in the side thereof, and with lower and second and third stories thou shalt make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is in the earth shall die, but with thee I will establish my covenant. Thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, Interesting that there was only one mother-in-law on the whole ark. Just wanted to kind of throw that out there. In verse 19, And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. Of the fowls after their kind, of the cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing. Lots of detail here, so, so humor me in this long passage. And thou shalt take unto thee all of the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be food for thee and for them. And verse 22, and thank God for this part. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. And if the lights were to go out right now, if someone hits a transformer and church is over in 10 seconds, I want you to know that whatever God says, that's what we ought to do. And we can just about have an altar call at that point. Some of the worst advice I think I've ever read was when someone in the Bible said, have thou nothing to do with this man, talking about Jesus. And some of the best advice comes in John chapter 2 when Mary, the mother of Jesus, says, whatsoever he says to you, do it. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always align with logic. It doesn't always fit our plans and our schemes. But whatever he says, my goodness, in 2024, that's what I want to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, I'll just read one verse here. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. I want to preach to you just a little while on the missing parts of the ark. I wonder if you would just slip maybe one hand up and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to anoint the speaker and to anoint our hearers to hear his word this morning. Lord Jesus, we need you now more than ever before. God, your word is already anointed. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm asking you right now to pierce, Lord, my soul. Pierce my heart. Lord, separate the bone and the marrow, Lord Jesus, and get down to the heart of the matter in my life. Lord, help me to see whatever it is you want me to see. Lord, help us to respond to your word in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now elbow your neighbor so hard it makes him cough and say, we're going to hold him to this, not preaching too long thing. There was a man, Antoine de Saint-Juperi, I think I might be pronouncing his name right, a French gentleman. He was a writer, poet, journalist, and a, and a pioneering aviator. He said one of my favorite quotes. He says, if you want to build a ship... Don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. What a poetic statement. 
Don't really put together a to-do list. Don't give them a cut list and some supplies. But if you teach them to love the sea, they're going to figure out how to make the boat themselves. You know, boats have been around for a long time, and nautical science and marine engineering, it's kind of an interesting subject. And, you know, we put together some great, some great pieces of technology. And in this picture that you see on the slide here, that was looking through the window of a castle of some place in Turkey. We just recently went on a trip, uh, a cruise, right before Hamas attacked Israel, unfortunately. So we never got to go to Israel. So we were stuck in Turkey for two extra days. But we, we saw these ships sitting out there, and they were sitting out in the water just beyond the reach of this castle, which also had this archaeological museum. And in this museum, and you'll see some pictures maybe now or maybe just a little bit later, that had artifacts, pieces of gold and, and different things that were from shipwrecks and things that were exhumed from the water that were six, seven, eight hundred years B.C. And, and these things came off of boats. And what I would just, just say to you this morning that the USS Gerald Ford that was put out into the Mediterranean that we actually saw when we were on our cruise, kind of a bone-chilling, patriotic, really cool moment. Just They, they buzzed the, the cruise ship that we were on with the helicopter, and I wasn't sure if they were going to bomb us or if they were just checking out to make sure that we really were a party ship. And, and uh, just I didn't do this, but I probably should have now. should have shouted out to that helicopter pilot and just said, hey, most of us are apostolic. There's no partying going on here. We are exactly who we say we are. But this, this massive boat that we saw on the horizon was the USS Gerald Ford, and it was just it was an incredible piece of machinery. And we figured out how to build boats, and we figured out how to, how to get around on the water. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, there are lots of references. Noah's Ark may be one of the first mentions, but we find that the Lake Galilee in many places is called different things. And if you look early on in the Old Testament, it's actually called Lake Chinneroth. And who even cares what it's called, it, but it's called Lake Chinneroth. And if you look up the original Hebrew meaning, I probably should put my glasses on the end of my nose before I even say this, but the, the original Hebrew word for Lake Chinneroth means harp-shaped. And who even cares that it means harp-shaped? And what it, what it really tells us is, is all the way back then, four, five, six thousand years ago, there were people that were building boats and they were going around the edge of the lakeshore and they were using the stars and they were using topography and they were triangulating the shape of this lake and they just figured might have been a little bit of a rudimentary drawing or even just a, a faint image but with the charting of the stars and the charting of the edge they decided it's the shape of a harp well they did this because they were on a boat and we've been making boats for a long time, and we kind of know what we're doing. But when you read the story of Noah's Ark, Pastor Reading, it has some parts and pieces that there was no negotiating with God. If they were to survive, if they were to be the only eight souls that were going to live through this flood, man, it, it better be gopher wood. I don't want you to make it out of pine or oak or mahogany. I know tiger wood is really prevalent in this part of the world, and it's beautiful, but it's got to be gopher wood. It's got to be exactly like God says. And can I just minister something into your heart today that, wow, while we are pretty gifted and we can do some pretty cool things and we've invented microwaves and asphalt and don't you know I'm really happy that we have Pop-Tarts in our lives and, and macaroni and cheese and things like that. But when it comes to obeying the voice of God, it doesn't matter if it makes any sense to you. It doesn't matter if it fits into your reality. It doesn't matter if it fits into your paradigm. It doesn't matter what the college professor says or what your boss at work says. What thus saith the Lord is the only thing that matters. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my 
word shall not pass away. Am I preaching to some apostolics this morning in Greenfield, Indiana, that know that no matter what I think, no matter what I want, it matters what God wants. It matters what He wants us to do. It better be waterproofed, and it better have the right amount of windows, and it better be the right length, and it better be the right width, and it better have, the, it better have everything. But there were some things that I think might have been missing. Brother Mac, who do you think you are? Not 10 seconds ago, you were saying whatever God says is what we should want. Absolutely. But the ark that I read about didn't have a rudder. Now, God didn't want it to have a rudder. But it was missing a rudder. James talks about a rudder a little bit when he's talking about speaking in tongues and the horse in, 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 in the, the bit in the horse's mouth, how the horse can be moved about by this little thing and how the, the tongue is just such a powerful thing and, and how the little rudder can just move a boat. But Noah's Ark didn't have a boat or, and didn't have a rudder. The rudder is the primary control surface that's used to steer a ship or a boat or a submarine or hovercraft. Let me just tell you something, that even though Noah's Ark didn't have a rudder, doesn't mean that it didn't have direction. It doesn't mean that God wasn't going to steer that thing in the precise direction that he wanted it to go. And by the way, how many times have you put a little rudder into your life? And how many times have you taken the wheel of your life? And how many times have you decided to, to go in the direction that you wanted to go? And I don't know about you, and we've got lots of ability. We've got lots of IQ. We've got lots of EQ. And we could do lots of things. But every single time I try to put the hands on the wheel and do things how I want to do them, I bump up into a brick wall, or, or worse, I, I run off the road, or what's worse, I make mistakes now I regret and now I'm reaping what I'm sowing. Can you hear what I'm saying this morning? If you choose the direction of your life, if you try to steer in the direction that you want to go, it might not be where God wants you to go. And I just want in 2024, Lord Jesus, nevertheless, not thy will, not my will, but thine will be done. Lord, you provide the things that are missing in my life. Lord, you provide the direction that's in my life. I'm so glad that we have the promise in Psalm chapter 32 and verse number 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. God, let that be my prayer. Lord, show me what I ought to do. Lord, if, my, if your will is for me to take a step in that direction, then that's the direction that I want to go. You don't know who's waiting on the other side. You don't know the hungry soul that's just praying for you to follow the direction of the Lord. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and, he, and, and this is a guy that had it all together. Like, this guy had all, there were no missing parts to Nicodemus. If you study out his name, and, and I'm not going to make the joke about the glasses on the end of the nose anymore in case I lose track of where I am in my notes and I can't see what I'm reading. But Nicodemus, his name is literally Nike Demos. So you better not be wearing any Reeboks in the house today. Nike means champion. Demos means village. And Nicodemus was literally the champion of the village. He had perfected the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a leader of the Jews. And you know, they could get a little bit OCD. Any OCDers in the house? I rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. Only one with courage. Let me just tell you. Let's give the sister a big hand. She's the only one that had the courage to admit it. She knew there was some sort of a punchline coming, but she went anyway. 
You know, in, in Jewish law, if a maiden got a little bit too much mud on her dress on a Sabbath day, before I came up here this morning, Pastor Reading, I noticed I got a little stain on my pants. It's like, now I can't stop thinking about it. You know, if you're a Jewish maiden and you get a little bit of mud because, you know, the donkey kicks up a little mud on your, on your dress, you can only shake it so many times. You can only scratch it so many times to try to remove that before it constituted work. And we don't work on the Sabbath day. She could be punished. She could be stoned. She could be extricated from her community. Kind of ridiculous. But Nicodemus was the champion of the village. Everything he did right. His whole family, his whole life, everything. But he snuck out to Jesus one night. I just, I don't know if these exact thoughts were going through his head, but if I were Nicodemus, this is what I would be thinking. I've done everything right. I've not compromised any of the law. I've taught my family. I've taught my household. I've taught the village. But I lay my head on my pillow at night, and I just wonder if I'm moving in the right direction. You know, he made a statement to Jesus and if you read John chapter 3, Jesus answered. Now, there's probably some way to diagram that sentence out, and I may well be wrong about this. But usually when there's an answer, it's because there's a question. Jesus can look straight into your heart. And even though you might be making a statement, he understands that it's founded in a question. And I feel the Holy Ghost, even as those words roll off of my lips. We come to church and we praise him and we say, God, you are a healer. But I wonder if sometimes our heart is a little directionless. And if we just wonder, God, are you really a healer? I came to reaffirm somebody's faith in this house this morning. If you've ever felt like giving up, if you've ever felt like maybe this is not where it's at, can I just tell you that Nicodemus thought that very same thing and he came to Jesus and made a statement. But the Lord Jesus Christ looked into the annals of his soul and his heart and answered the question, that was, that was panging him at night and he says hey you've got to be born again of the water and of the spirit you come to me saying things but I'm going to answer because I know you're really asking if you've not been baptized in Jesus name this morning don't leave this building without having the blood of Jesus applied to your life if you want a rudder if you want direction if you want peace if you want answers to the questions that you don't even know you should be asking have the name of Jesus called over your life as you're submerged in water and you're buried and you rise up to walk in newness of life there was a time back in the day I was I was a young buck and I know that I only looked like 22 years old and it's just I, I spilled some paint and some sheetrock dust on my hair this morning and that's the only reason I mean I used to drive a garbage truck back in the day I was a cool garbage truck driver some dudes are cool aircraft pilots I was a cool garbage truck driver and one time in Terre Haute, Indiana, I'm backing down this long alley. It's maybe 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm by myself. I think I'm 18 and a half years old, you know, indestructible, knows everything, has all the energy in the world. I was working two jobs at the time, as a matter of fact. Back down this long alleyway. You know, back in the day, not that there's anything wrong with any of today's modern garbage truck drivers, but they don't really leave the seat too much. There's all those mechanical arms and things that reach out and grab the dumpster and grab the trash and do all that thing. And 
I'm glad because it probably saves energy and worker shortage and all that. But back in the day, you had to get out of the truck. You had to walk back behind this big old dumpster and take this big, thick cable with a hook on it. And you had to hook it onto the back of the dumpster. I don't even think OSHA, like, they just must have looked the other way because this was the most dangerous thing you could ever even imagine. And then you stand on this, like, this back little step thing on the back of the garbage truck, which most of the times the welds were breaking off and they're just shaking and you're just almost bouncing up and down. And you pull this handle and this cable pulley thing pulls up the back of the dumpster and all the debris and the stuff just falls out of that dumpster and into the back of the garbage truck. And it's just like hungry hippos and you run that packer and it just keeps grabbing it. It sounds like a fun job. It sounds like, like it's just like one of those American dirty jobs. Let's bring back garbage truck driving. Let's make garbage truck driving great again. Let's go back to danger and prestige and adventure. Sounds almost like an archaeologist. No, just a garbage truck driver. But one time I'm back there in this, this alley, and it was, a, it was a manufacturer that made windows. And it's just, this garbage truck is just munching away at these old window parts and different frames and vinyl pieces and big chunks of glass, and it's just full to the top, and it had these big, massive plates of glass on top, and Pastor Reading, I, I don't know how else to describe it. it. I've only heard the voice of the Lord probably two or three times in my entire life. And every other time, I've, either he's not speaking or I've just been too stubborn or he just wants me to read his word and get his voice. But, but that night, I felt the presence of God. And, and I didn't deserve feeling his presence. I wasn't seeking him. I wasn't praying him. I wasn't coming off a one-week fast. But he just said, step back. And I usually, I'm usually pretty hard-headed. I'm usually pretty stubborn. But for whatever reason, it just, I just felt his presence and felt his voice, and I stepped back, and, and about two seconds later, this massive pane of glass comes sliding down this dumpster. And almost assuredly, it would have probably hit me in the head, the neck, and, and I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I'm by myself, and if it, if it wouldn't have cut my head off, i it would have been bad. It would have been really, really bad. You know, that wasn't a complex plan that God laid out to me. He didn't say, okay, make an ark of gopher wood and spend 120 years working on this, this process. It was just a moment. It was just a split second. To, to I didn't have my own rudder. I didn't have my own direction. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. But his voice just kind of spoke to me in just like an instant, in a moment, in like a twinkling of an eye. Can I just preach to you today and say, some of us might be on the precipice of something in our walk with God. And some of us might be on the precipice of our faith. And maybe we're going through something that's trying and difficult and and who knows I mean I don't want to make a laundry list of all the issues that we face but I just know that under the sound of my voice somebody is reaching out to God right now and he's just trying to give you a little bit of direction it might not be step back it might be go forward it might not be go right it might be go left but Please hear me today. Listen to the voice of God. In the day that you hear his voice, harden not your heart. He can provide the direction. He can provide the salvation. I want to preach about rudder so much longer, but the other part that was missing in this ark was the sail. And I think we might have some pictures of some of these things. A sail is a, a tensile structure made from fabric. Matter of fact, I have this green bag if you want to see it. If you promise not to get any donut juice on it or anything, I'll even let you hold it. But I have this bag that my wife and daughters got me, and 
is from one of those companies that they say, you know, it's supposed to be like, you know, now a family heirloom, and they'll fight about it when you're gone because it's so cool, it's so valuable. But it's made from the sale of an old Scottish shipping vessel. It's really green, thick canvas, and it's got this wax treatment, and I think I could probably scuba dive with it, and it would still keep my iPad dry. It's just the coolest thing. kind of looks like Indiana Jones bag, and, and I've already made one archaeological reference this morning, so you know kind of what my hobbies are and what I'm into. But a sail is something that's put on a vessel. You've seen it a million times. But it provides propulsion. It provides the energy. You know, this ark that Noah built didn't have a rudder, but God provided the direction, and it went the way that God wanted it to go, but it didn't have a sail either. But, you know, it didn't have any problem moving around to where God wanted it to go. In Acts chapter 3 and and verse 1 through 6, and if you follow on, you can see even more about it. You find the story about the man, the lame man that's laying at the gate beautiful. And we won't read the whole entire story just for the sake of time, but Peter and John were were going to the house of God, and they were just going to pray, and they were just going to seek God. And it was so cool to come into the service today and spend some time back in the prayer room. And then even during the worship service, it's obvious that our focus here today is on the presence of God. It's on seeking his will. It's on seeking whatever he would want for his life. And that's all Peter and John were doing. They weren't trying to decide the direction for themselves. They wanted to go get plugged back in with God. And they see this man that's just laying there from, from, for years and years and years that was lame. And, and the man reached up and was calling for all and just trying for, to get a little bit of help, just get a little nudge, just get a little push in this world. And you know the story that Peter and John looked at him and said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. I can't tell you how many times that I've tried to do something in my life and I felt like I had God's direction, but I just didn't have the energy, I just didn't have the strength, I just didn't have the power. But let me just tell you that it's not by our might, it's not by our power, but it's by the Spirit of God, it's by His power, it's by His energy, it's by by his guidance and his direction, but it's also by the Holy Ghost. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We talked just a moment ago about being baptized in Jesus' name, and if you've never been baptized, please don't let this day pass until you're baptized in Jesus' name. But Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, you got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. You're going to be cleansed, you're going to be washed of all your sins, but you're going to need a little bit of power because you can't make it on your own because silver and gold won't get it, because the work of your hands won't get it, because your energy won't get it. You're going to need the Holy Ghost. And John the Baptist said, hey guys, there's somebody that's coming after me that's much mightier. I baptize you right here unto the works of your repentance, and that's a good start. But it doesn't stop there. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I know that a lot of churches out there mean well, and, and they're wonderful and they've got great programs but if you don't have the Holy Ghost then you're not there yet if you don't have the Holy Ghost then you've got no power if you don't have the Holy Ghost I venture to say you can't make it in this world you've got to have the propulsion of God in your life I remember my brother-in-law Greg he has a PhD in organic chemistry and you know so that makes Thanksgiving and holiday times just awful And I remember when he came into the church and he just just sort of gravitated towards us and he wasn't my brother-in-law at the time and spent a lot of time with him and myself and others, we taught him Bible studies and just had conversations and went rollerblading, which I hate, but you know, you become all things to all people so that some might believe. But I remember after Greg had gotten baptized, he was praying for the Holy Ghost. And man, when I say he was praying for the Holy Ghost... 
Like, I'll do a 30-minute workout, and I wasn't sweating as hard as he was. <laughs> Praying for the Holy Ghost. Because, you know, he was, he was getting his PhD. He was right on the verge of completing his dissertation. And he's just, you got to know him. This joker is intense. Like, like, he makes me seem like a sleeve of saltines compared to, like, he is just intense. And so he thought, okay, I'm going to obey the gospel. I'm going to get baptized, and then I'm going to go get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. But, but, but Greg, it doesn't matter if your juggler is bulging from your neck when you're praying. You don't earn the Holy Ghost. But I haven't sinned in a week, and God hasn't given me the It's not about whether you sin or you don't sin. We don't want to sin. God forbid. But let me just tell you, you don't earn the power of God. It doesn't matter what member of any organization that we are. We don't earn the power of God. We believe in one God. God manifests himself in the flesh. We believe in repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. But just because we believe those things doesn't mean that we earn the power and the branding of God. We receive the Holy Ghost because it is a gift. It is something that he promised. He said he would pour it out upon all flesh. It doesn't matter. Sinful flesh, white flesh, black flesh, Greenfield flesh, Indianapolis flesh, Shelbyville flesh, Hawaiian flesh, any kind of flesh because it's his power. It's not our little magic wand that we roll around. We don't pray and touch people on the head and they get healed because we're licensed or because we have a church building or because we fasted until our belly button falls down. It's because the power of God and because he's so wonderful and because he's so magnificent and because he's so good. It's his power. It's his power. Somebody needs to tap into his power this morning. Somebody's been trying to do it all on your own too much. But it's his power that will take you through Monday morning. It's his power that will keep you in a dark and sinful world. I remember we were at camp one time, and I'll, I'll hasten to the next point. Greg is praying for the Holy Ghost. I thought he was going to have a stroke. He's literally, his neck is bulging. He's just begging God, thinking that if he just prays hard enough... And, and a preacher, I don't even remember who it was, and isn't that how it's supposed to be, just walks up to Greg, and I was standing right next to him, and the preacher just said, hey, dude, man, just relax. And I saw Greg's body language. He was, he was sweating. He was crying. His face was red. His neck was bulging. And I just saw him just kind of go like this. And Pastor Reading is... As true as I'm standing here, the second he relaxed and realized it wasn't his work that was getting the Holy Ghost. It was just the power of God. He began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Let me tell you something, Brother Reading. This is real. This thing is powerful. And this thing is true. And we're going to preach it. But if our voice gives out, if our energy gives out, if we go to our grave, it will still be true. He's a healer of cancer. But if the tumor takes your life, his power is still real. He is the healer of marriages. But if your marriage breaks up, God forbid, his power is still real. Please trust in him. Please stand upon his word. Please devote your life to him. The third part that was missing, and I know it might be somewhat punkish and arrogant for us to say that God didn't know what he was doing because there were missing parts of the ark. They truly were missing, but missing by design. The third part, I think they might have a picture there as well, is the keel. The keel. We don't talk about a keel. Not Shaquille O'Neal. 
because I know that's where you were going. It's a longitudinal structure along the center line at the bottom of a vessel's hull, and you can see the picture there. The whole hull is built with this thing in the center. It extends downward. It's like a blade or a ridge. And the primary function of the keel is to make sure that the boat doesn't roll. Now, Pastor Reading is a, is a avid kayaker. Did you go down Niagara recently? 2024. <laughs> Goals for 2024. You know, when you, when you have a boat that's just sitting in the water, if it's not properly balanced, that thing's going all over the place. Furthermore, if you have a big boat that's like, you know, 450 feet long and 75 feet wide with giraffes and elephants and Hamsham and Japheth and their wives and it's not going to be stable. You know, sometimes when you're walking for God and, and you're, you're trying to lead your families and you go on week after week, and Monday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning, and you're living in this world and you hear things like Ukraine, you hear things like, like, like China, and you hear, if you hear a president talk, if you hear other things, you're thinking, what kind of stability do we even have Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 16, he said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. And this is actually the disciples speaking. Now we know that all things, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. I think I want to read that again because I think I know what those words mean, but I want that to settle deep. The disciples said to Jesus, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. <laughs> now we know that you know all things and you don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus said, do you now believe? He says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. And I've said these things to you that you might have peace. You know what another word for peace is? <clears throat> Stability. You know, they were on that boat that one day, ironically, on a boat in the middle of an ocean. And you know, that boat didn't have missing parts. It had everything it was supposed to have. But yet it was still unstable. So much that they went to wake him up and said, don't you even care that the keel's not working right? And what did he say? He said, peace be still to the storm. I think if I ever do a translation of, of the Bible, I might phrase that, be thou stable. Be thou stable. He said, I've said these things to you that you might have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulations coming, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It won't always feel stable. It might feel like it goes against your grain. But let me just tell you, when the world goes cray-cray on Wednesday, create this mental image of this rock and chiseled into this rock is God's word and just step up on it.
tumult, craziness, darkness, fear, earthquakes, war, economic collapse, inflation, sickness, disease, losing my job. Just keep standing on that word. Just, just, just keep standing on that word. Just stand on it when everything else is going crazy. If it doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do, it's just the devil lying to you. That's just your flesh speaking out. It might not make any sense, but can I just implore you to stand upon his word. If you want stability in your life, just stand. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be that complex. It's just the profundity of just standing upon God's word. Lastly, anchor. The anchor. The ark didn't have an anchor. Can you believe that? What, God, you want us to stay on this boat forever with these elephants? Do not kind of waste these things produced every day? Well, that's why I gave you the window, to check it out over the edge. The anchor is there to hold you in place when you can't stand it on your own. I've seen people go through some hard times. We've got some dear, dear friends of ours. They're going through the deepest, darkest trial of their entire life. And you walk into the room to try to give them some encouragement. And you walk out in a dichotomy thinking, I feel better than when I walked in. But I also feel like an idiot that they feel stronger than I do. It's because they've got the anchor. It's because they've understood that when it's time for the boat to stop, God will stop it. But until that day comes, I'm just going to get up every day and I'm just going to slide on my boots and I'm going to eat me a bagel and drink a cup of coffee and say, what do you want me to do today, God? Be my direction, God. Be my propulsion and be my power. Be my stability, Lord. Be my anchor, Lord Jesus. Oh, you want me to go over here and talk to this person at the Dunkin' Donuts? No problem. Hey, we ought to learn to just start floating the idea of church out to everybody that we see. Hey, church this. Hey, church that. You don't have to say, hey, you got to come and be baptized and you got to get the Holy Ghost and you got to go through 12 weeks of Bible study, just float out there. You know, you remind me of somebody that, that, look, that, that, that goes to my church. You look just about like them. Just float the idea of church. We ought to just have a, a business card that just says church. It just says church. Just, hey, guess what? I was thinking of this crazy word. Let me tell you, just church. Just throw some bait out there. Just start casting the nets out on this side and casting the nets out on that side because God has a church and the gates of hell, they're going to get pretty hot and the gates of hell, they're going to come up to your address and they're going to knock on your door. But can I tell you what Jesus said to Peter that day? He says, hey, I'm about to build a church and even though the gates of hell are moving hard, there is an anchor and they shall not prevail against my church. It just, it, maybe it's just that simple. Maybe it's just that simple. Just give somebody a, a drink of water and a, and a card that says church. It doesn't even have to be my church. We want you to come to my church, but I want you to come to God. We want you to come to our address, but I want you to live on streets of gold someday when we're all under his care, when we're all under his light, and we're a part of the true church. That's the anchor. That's the thing that holds us. That's the thing that we stand upon. Man, can I preach two more hours? Just kidding. After World War II, General Douglas MacArthur, you know, leather jacket wearing, pipe smoking, Douglas MacArthur. He was moving his office to the Daiichi Seime building in Japan, right across the river from the emperor of Japan. 
And apparently, he had this big rug that he just loved. Nobody really knew where it came from, but he had this rug. And everywhere he moved his office, he would bring that rug. And he'd, his, his assistants would put that rug down in his office and just live on that rug. It was just maybe a piece of home. No matter where he was at, he was always going to have that rug. So they go into this office building, and they're setting up occupation and trying to provide some stability to the region. And one of his aides came up to him, Pastor Reading, and said, General MacArthur, most offices that you move into are much larger. This one's smaller than normal, and your rug won't fit. And so we just need to know, where do you want us to cut the rug to make it fit? And General Douglas MacArthur looked at the agent and said, no, 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 no. We're not cutting the rug. You're going to move the walls. The world will try to compress us. The world will try to quiet us. The world will try to accept their agenda, and I'm not the conspiracy theorist guy that thinks everything is an agenda. There are lots of agendas, and when there are agendas, the world wants you to think differently about marriage. Is it okay if I just nibble on this just for a second? The world wants you to think differently about marriage and the genders that are supposed to be involved in those marriages. The world wants you to think differently about the genders that you are or you aren't. And, and, and I know that's a very sensitive topic, but you know, God is our creator and he made us to be a certain way. And the world is going to try to force feed you ideas and, and, and the world is going to try to force feed you into evolution and the world is going to try to force feed you into thinking that materialism will satisfy. And the world is, and I love social media, I'm all over social media, but the world will make you think if you don't look like the person on social media that you're not have any value. The world will make you think that if you don't have enough money, then you might not be working hard enough. The world will make you think if you don't have the right house, then maybe you're not living a blessed life after all. Can I just tell you, the world will tell you lots of things and they they will try to get you to shape your faith and to shape your religion to fit into the space that they want you to occupy. But just like Douglas MacArthur said and just like Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're not going to shape us. As a matter of fact, we're going to blow the walls off of this place. I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem. I want you to be witnesses in Judea. I want you to be witnesses in Samaria. I want you to be witnesses into the uttermost parts of the world. That's why in Egypt there became Christians. That's why in Antioch there were Christians. That's why in Africa there were Christians. That's why today. Here we are, Caucasian, Anglo-Saxon people, but we know the truth because Jesus says, no, no, no. It's not for just this little epicenter of people, but this gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. That means you. That means me. That means your neighbor. That means the atheist. That means the agnostic. That means the homosexual. That means the unbeliever. The power of God can save. I believe it now more than ever before. <laughs> Lastly, and we're closing, if musicians would, would like to come. This little story here is from a book called The Survival Survivors Club. I'm not sure if you've ever read The Survivors Club. I'm careful to recommend books because, I mean, Pastor Reading has the Library of Congress. <laughs> I would highly recommend this book. It's called The Survivor's Club. It's red. Forget the author. It matters, but not to me today. 
It's story after story after story after story after story about people that survive near-death experiences. And they did it probably the hand of God in many cases, but the author presents it because they just wouldn't give up. Jocko Willink, most decorated Navy SEAL alive today, says that the strapping Division I college athletes that everybody think are going to become a great SEAL almost never make it. It's the scrawny. It's the out of shape. It's the awkward. It's the non-athletic people that just won't give up that usually make it. I'm so glad it's not a beauty contest or I wouldn't have a chance. I'm so glad it's not an IQ test because I would be out in the dark. But don't you know that Jesus loves you red, yellow, black, white, doesn't matter your demographic, doesn't matter where you came from. My grandfather was the drunk that was found frozen to death under the Ruby Dew River Bridge. I was kind of like David on the backside of nowhere whose own daddy wouldn't even bring him in to meet to maybe potentially see his brother be knighted as the next king. Don't you know it doesn't matter what your lineage is, it doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what your checkbook looks like. It's for those that don't give up. The story starts off, and I'll move quickly. I'm in big trouble. Those were Angeli's first thoughts when she saw a flash of fur over her right shoulder. She was mountain biking along this twisting trail in Foothill Ranch, California. She thought she startled a deer. If only... In a streak of speed and force, a creature pounced on her from the brush and knocked her off her bike. And then it plunged its fangs in the back of her neck. Anne knew immediately it was a mountain lion. She'd seen signs posted on the trailhead that big cats had been spotted in the park and riders were supposed to be extra careful, but whoever paid attention to the signs anyway? Hey, we ought to pay attention to the signs. If the Lord's been talking to you, if the Lord's been moving, then today's not a good day to ignore. Animals were supposed to be more afraid of humans. At least that's what Anne thought at the time. This is a person that might not have been the same kind of believer that we are, but she cries out, Jesus, help me! Jesus, help me! It wasn't just some casual quip. It wasn't... It wasn't a post on social media. It wasn't just she was in traffic on 465. Jesus, help me. Had to slam on my brakes. These three words were entirely intentional. It was a conscious response to that previous thought. She thought she was going to die. And as the lion clamped down on her head and tried to drag her off the trail, Anne says she purposefully called out to God. I would hope so. You know, it doesn't have to be a mountain lion attack before we call out to God. Can I just say, we should learn to be more sensitive. She's on the ground. The lion attacked the back of her neck below her bike helmet and quickly worked its jaws toward her face. She felt its fangs open and close, shifting slightly each time, angling for her throat and for the kill. As the mountain lion dug into her neck, her instincts took over and she struck back. She's, she's punching the animal in the face, but she's unable to strike its body. And later in the hospital, the doctors found that on her hands and her knuckles, they were black and blue from all the fighting. And I'm like, you go, Anne. You go, sister. 
and knew their time was running out, but suddenly she heard her friend. Her friend Debbie was screaming. <laughs> Pardon me on this. She was screaming incredible obscenities, the story says. <laughs> I hope I don't cuss. I did have a car run into our driveway a couple years ago, hit our tree at 45 miles per hour, about 25 feet from me, and the security camera caught it, and I, I couldn't wait to watch that security video to make sure I didn't say the wrong things. And lo and behold, I said, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thanks for being my anchor, Lord. Her friend Debbie's screaming, and, and the story says that she's just saying profanities, and I won't tell you exactly which ones you could imagine. And it startled her because she never heard Debbie say these words before. You know, when you're in a situation, sometimes you'll do things that you've never done before. Then she felt Debbie pulling hard on her left leg, trying to free her from the beast in this vicious tug of war, as if Anne was the rope. She didn't think she would survive. She said, this is the end, and she even told herself she tried to say goodbye to Debbie. And Debbie says, I'm never letting go. I'm never letting go. I'm never letting go. And true to her word, Debbie tugged and tugged and tugged, and she did not let her friend go. And you can read the story. And I just looked up this morning some of the pictures, and, and Anne has had plastic surgery, and there's just a big story about it. Somebody needs to have a little bit of that never letting go spirit in them this morning. And you might be reaching for somebody in your life. You might be reaching for someone in the congregation even. And maybe a little offense or maybe something has happened. Or it might be someone at home or it might be someone at work. It might even be yourself. I don't know what your custom is, but I want to invite you to do something maybe a little bit different if you're not used to it. Because when things get desperate, we'll do desperate things. When I was pastoring at Canby, we had new folks coming in all the time, and they didn't always know how to have an old-fashioned altar call. I would just ask them to move a little bit, just as a symbol to God. I don't feel comfortable going all the way up there, but I'm just going to go from here to here and say, God, I'm not what that person was a few minutes ago, and I'm never letting go. I'm reaching on to you. I want you to be my power and my propulsion and my guidance and my anchor, and I'm never letting go. Could you stand all over this congregation this morning, and could you lift up your hands? And if you feel comfortable without any more further ado or teeth pulling or dramatic stories, I want to invite you to this altar. Your situation might be desperate or it might just be a small thing where you just want to rededicate your life and your very existence to God. I want somebody to take the lead and just come to this altar this morning and just say, God, I'm never letting go. God, I'm never going to move off your foundation. God, I'm never letting go of your anchor. Lord, I know you can hold me in your hand. Some of you might be interceding for somebody else, someone that, that you know desperately needs him, desperately needs salvation or needs a new mindset, somebody that needs a miracle or a job or a reset on their whole life existence. It's okay to just come and pray for them too. In your mind, just picture yourself holding onto their leg and saying, I'm never going to let you go to hell. I'm never going to let you fall. I'm never going to let you stumble. I'm never going to leave you on your own. That's it. Just reach out to God right now. Just reach out to God right now.